Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Dave Odom, Wake Forest legend, championship coach, being honored in Winston-Salem on Wednesday. He drops by live in about 30 minutes. We'll ask him to put his analyst's cap on. We'll also ask about his memories and reflections on that 1995 team that will be celebrated once again on Wednesday in Winston-Salem. Coach Dave Odom in 30 minutes on College Hoops. Josh is in Huntersville and once in on Wolfpack basketball. NC State joined Wake Forest and UNC on the worst of the weekend list. Louisville has lost two straight and joined that list as well. The Houston Astros, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, Tiger Woods, who was dead last at Riviera this weekend. A stadium series hockey game announcement was best of the weekend for many Kaniac fans but was worst of the weekend for the game that was actually played this year. Long story short, as we come back to your calls, and I give you the Mike Tomlin spoke publicly today, and this is at a time of year where he in his past almost never does interviews between the Super Bowl, obvious media availability time for just about everybody in the NFL, and then his next professional responsibilities. This is his downtime. Like Steelers fans will tell you, Steelers beat writers will tell you, yeah, this is the time of year that Mike just ghosts. And just like most people in most professions, you want a little downtime at some point. And Mike Tomlin coming out of that to speak publicly for something he's really fired up about happened earlier today. I'll elaborate as we come back to your calls. 1-800-849-2761. What was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe? And what made it that? Well, you all may have seen recently when Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns spoke with Mina Kimes of ESPN and unfortunately went back to his accusation that Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph used a racial slur at some point in their infamous helmet-swinging altercation where Miles Garrett, remember, was the helmet-swinger, and Mason Rudolph had his own role in the incident but was not considered the provocateur, if you will. So Miles Garrett got fined, Miles Garrett got other sanctions, and this story mostly faded into the background until, in his interview recently with Kimes, Miles Garrett went back to the N-word accusation. Well, Mike Tomlin wasn't hearing any of this, and that's why he came out on ESPN's first take earlier today. I think he was talking to Stephen A. Smith at the time. He said, the most recent allegation this weekend, I took, a, I took offense to it, to be quite honest with you. I fully support Mason Rudolph. We, as an organization, fully support Mason Rudolph. And to be quite honest with you, we were hacked off by what we saw this weekend. I think Mason Rudolph's reputation needs to be defended and defended aggressively. Now, a lot of folks are chiming in on this and they're saying, hey, if Mike Tomlin, who happens to be a black man, is stepping up for Mason Rudolph, who happens to be a white man, this way. And remember, the NFL's investigation said that it found no evidence of a racial slur. Mike Tomlin wants to say, case closed, man. A lot of people will tell you, Miles Garrett does not have a track record for, for being reckless on the field, reckless with his words, reckless with accusations. That's what's making this so confusing. If Miles Garrett were just a knucklehead, and there are plenty of them in all the sports that we follow, well, then you just roll your eyes and you say, man, if he's the only guy who heard that, and there's a bunch of offensive linemen and defensive linemen nearby, and Mason Rudolph swears to this moment he didn't say it, and the NFL investigation didn't turn up any evidence that he did say it, well, then you just be case closed, right? You roll your eyes out, Miles being Miles, 
and you move on. Well, Miles Garrett clearly is not letting it go, which is why Mike Tomlin came out of the woodwork to support and defend his quarterback today. And as we come back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761, Tomlin added this, these accusations are serious, not only in terms of Mason Rudolph's character, but his professional pursuits. Nobody on that field, as a member of the Cleveland Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers, corroborated what was said by Miles Garrett at no point during that piece this weekend, and he referred to kind of a roundtable discussion on ESPN. In his eyes, Mike Tomlin's eyes, they were kind of piling on Miles Garrett's N-word claim toward Mason Rudolph without mentioning anywhere, and good journalists would include this in their coverage. Hey, the NFL investigated. There were even some microphones on the field, and there's no evidence that any of those mics, worn by the linemen or otherwise capturing natural, natural sound, there is no such evidence saying that this happened. So now it's down to he said, she said. And Mason Rudolph swears he didn't, and Garrett swears that it did happen. But importantly, I would say, nobody else claimed to hear it. One thing that bothers me about Miles' version of events here, as we go to Josh in Huntersville, Gary is in Wilson, Jeremy is in Grays Creek, North Carolina. You can join us from the mountains to the beach to wherever you may live in between. Duke, Baylor, Clemson, Maryland, LeBron, Kwai, Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, the Hornets forward Miles Bridges among the best of the weekend. If you watched the XFL in week two, tell us what you thought. We'll get into some of the other best and worst here in just a little bit. Mason Rudolph, remember, has denied this repeatedly, including over the weekend. What bothers me about Miles Garrett revisiting this with Mina Kimes is this. At this stage, you should not throw out there that you heard there may be audio or something unless you know that there's audio or not. This didn't happen like yesterday where you're asked a pointed question and you're not sure if there was audio and you just blurt out, hey, man, I know what I heard. And if they pick up any of that microphone audio from the offensive lineman's shoulder pads or whatever, you know, it's going to back up my version. Well, it's not the next day. It's not the same day. It's not three days later. The NFL did an entire investigation. And what bothers me about Miles Garrett's point of view here, he actually said to Mina Kimes, there were guys who were mic'd up near me, near us during that time, who did not hear anything. But from what I've heard, there might have been audio recording during that game that could have heard something or could not have heard something, but they don't want to say. So this is just feeding all the conspiracy theorists, right? At this point, Miles, when you're making an allegation like this, that an opposing player used the N-word, and again, no player on either team heard this man, and there was some audio that was part of the investigation and none of it backs up your claim, at some point you have to stop feeding the conspiracy theorists unless you can point out, yeah, there's audio, and it's locked in a Swiss vault somewhere because, you know, they don't want it to get out. Either that is the reality or it's not the reality. And to just haphazardly throw it out there as a possibility, if Miles Garrett would not want to be treated that way by somebody else. Don't feed a conspiracy theory unless you have reason to believe that someone is hiding audio somewhere. The NFL investigated. Players on both teams answered questions. And Miles Garrett is the only guy who heard this. If Mason Rudolph said this, I would be the first screaming from the rooftops that he's not only just, you know, a worst of the weekend, like a worst of the year. That's outrageous. 
sadly, even in 2020, sports leagues need to come up with rules for teams and fan bases and even players for racist language. That's where we are, even in 2020. But I don't think the evidence supports that in this case. And because the evidence doesn't support it, Miles Garrett's either got to tell us more about whatever he thinks backs up his conspiracy theory, or he's got to let it go and move on rather than staining somebody's reputation without any evidence, perhaps beyond his own recollection, to back that up. 1-800-849-2761. Jeremy is in Grays Creek, North Carolina, and next on the David Glenn Show. Yes, sir. Yeah, man, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, the only thing is we're talking about the same man that somebody walked up to and slapped in the face and did nothing about it. Something had to be said or something along the lines. With them being that close, whether it's not audible to everybody else, for him to get slapped in the face by somebody and him not to have an aggressive bone in his body then and to escalate the way it did, something had to go on. Well, a lot went on, remember, because they're rolling around on top of each other. If anybody's ever played football, when the guy who tackles you lays on you purposefully for a long time and then they grab each other's face masks and then they're rolling around and then there's a kick that ends up near somebody's groin i mean we don't need there's a list of things that escalated now we don't know the audio part of that list but you can see on the video there are plenty of other things that escalated the situation from a simple you know attempted tackle to the helmet swinging incident and the fracas with members of both teams getting involved. Let me try Josh in Huntersville. He wants back in on college basketball. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, David. Hey, man. Um, happy Monday, I guess. Uh, yeah, right back <laughs> at you. What's going on? Um, on the Wolfpack, they have to be probably the worst of the weekend. They're such a roller coaster. Oh, man. Like, they look good at times, and they look bad at times. They brought it back to within five about ten times. Couldn't close it out. It was a really bad call at the end with the ref right in front of it where the kid stepped out of bounds and then scored two points to go up three or whatever it was. Yeah. But, um, and also I wanted to get your opinion with Clemson beating Louisville and they beat Duke. And I think they split with state or either beat state the one time they played them. Wouldn't Clemson get the nod over NC state, even if they do pull off one of these, Big three games. No, the, the Tigers aren't anywhere near the bubble. They're only, I think, I'll double check it because I just put them somewhere in my the middle, the midsection of my power rankings. When you're barely above 500 as a team, you know the Clemson Tigers do have those memorable wins, but they they are 13 and 12 right now. So if you're 13 and 12, you're not even near the NCAA tournament bubble. Uh, NC State is essentially in the fifth position. So Duke's chasing a one seed. Florida State's chasing whatever, maybe a two seed. Louisville is struggling right now, but still up there in that three seed neighborhood. UVA keeps winning, so the Cavaliers are on the right side of the bubble. So that's four if the Cavs stay there. And then the, the next candidate is still NC State. I know it sounds strange because they just lost at Boston College. And yes, the roller coaster description is a good one for the Wolfpack. Especially disappointing, by the way, is Markel Johnson, the senior point guard. I know I'm not covering unplowed territory when I say that. But it is really weird for a senior to stop doing many of the things that made him a really good player. He still can be an assist man. He still can be a high-energy guy. He occasionally can put up a nice scoring total. But, man, he was so erratic that Kevin Keats benched him for a while. And in a must-win game at Boston College setting up, this stretch where the, the pack hosts Duke on Wednesday, hosts Florida State this coming Saturday afternoon. Markel Johnson 
is put to the bench by Kevin Keats up in Chestnut Hill. And then when he does return, he ends up against a team that's near the bottom of the standings, Boston College. Four points, three assists, and six turnovers. That was Markel Johnson last night when his team needed him. That's a really, really, really unusual set of circumstances because wherever you look around college basketball, even some of the bad teams, for example, Carolina this weekend lost to UVA, but it was a well-played game. The, the Tar Heels, was it the first game that both Garrison Brooks, veteran big man, and Cole Anthony, freshman point guard, looked good in the same game? I mean, remember it had been one or the other, and you're wondering why is the chemistry not working? Garrison Brooks is an all-ACC candidate. I mean, there's 15 slots on that team, and he's a candidate for one of those 15 slots. Cole Anthony's talented, but he's missed so much time, it's weird to talk about him in that way. But at his best, obviously, he's a very good player. So finally, Cole Anthony and Garrison Brooks are good in the same game, but you also have stories like Christian Keeling, who was hide-your-eyes bad for two months not only playing better, not just against UVA, but some other games, when he was asked to hit those three free throws at the end that could have beat the Cavaliers, he hit all three under pressure in front of an anxious crowd, right? So why are there stories like Christian Keeling coming along in Carolina? Why are there stories like role player Jordan Goldwire coming along at Duke beyond the obvious superstars? It's one thing to coach up the dudes that are great when they arrive. It's another thing to get a guy who didn't yet believe in himself or didn't yet get what you're trying to teach, eventually does. Christian Keeling fits that at Carolina right now. Jordan Goldwire fits that at Duke right now. Markel Johnson and Braxton Beverly have actually gone in the other direction. And they were both, as veteran guards, just horrible last night at Boston College. And I, I don't think it's an effort issue, but it's become an anxiety issue. It's become a chemistry issue because – Devin Daniels, for example, has come along nicely. He was really good at BC last night. 15 points and 10 rebounds for yet another veteran guard for Kevin Keats at NC State, and yet not enough help for Devin Daniels last night as this, the pack falls 71-68 to to a team, remember, BC's not even going to make the NIT in all likelihood. You needed that win if you're NC State. Boston College is mostly playing for pride, or some would say they're playing for their coach's job. Jim Christian has never taken BC to the NCAA tournament in his six years there. There are not many examples of ACC coaches in history who go six years in the modern era without an NCAA tournament bid and keep their job. So whatever the Eagles are playing for, they're still trying. And they take out a pack team that had a lot much more to play for. Your question about this week, no, the pack is not dead. No, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Clemson, whoever else you want to throw out there, they're all dead, folks. In terms of NCAA tournament dreams, there are 10 ACC schools who are dead in terms of an at-large bid and must dream of going to Greensboro and winning the ACC tournament to get the automatic bid. That's it for 10 schools. So you got three that know they're in. Virginia's leaning toward in but still has some work to do. And the Wolfpack is on the wrong side of the bubble but not dead yet. Why are they not dead yet? Well, in part because they're the only ACC team that still has three games against the heavyweights. So you get Duke at home on Wednesday, Florida State at home on Saturday, and then a trip to Duke later this season in Durham. You win two out of those three, well, now you're an interesting bubble team again. You lose all three, then you're dead. I'll even go this far. You lose both of these games this week, 
If NC State can't beat either Duke or Florida State this week, then NC State joins the other 10 ACC teams essentially as the walking dead in terms of NCAA at-large bids. Everybody holds in their back pocket. What if we run the table in Greensboro? Well, we all know who are the favorites there. It's not like Duke or Florida State will stop being really hard to beat or stop being really good basketball teams. Uh, it's just not going to be a pretty year. After four years where the ACC averaged eight NCAA tournament bids, the most likely number right now is four, and that is assuming that Virginia hangs on. They have a good resume at UVA, and they got a nice win, but remember, beating the Tar Heels is not what it used to be. You just beat the last-place team in the ACC if you're Tony Bennett and the Cavaliers on Saturday night. That doesn't pack the wallop that it does in most years. A step back for the Wolfpack for sure, a disappointment for the Tar Heels. Garrison Brooks had 20 points, five rebounds, four assists, and went nine for 14 from the field. Cole Anthony had 17 points. He shot better. He was not as much of a ball hog. He did not take as many reckless shots. Seven for 16 from the field. He had a lot. He had more assists than turnovers after a lot of ugly games where, you know, he's got twice as many turnovers as assists. He's the point guard. You can't do that. Cole Anthony was good against UVA. Garrison Brooks was good against UVA. Christian Keeling hit the clutch free throws against UVA. But Thomas Woldetense had other ideas and hit the corner three at the end. Six out of ten from three-point land, 18 points from a guy who had only one double-digit scoring total in his first three months with the Cavaliers. Now he has three points in the tw- three games in the 20-point range. At Wake, he beat the Deeks. Against Louisville, he had a huge game, but the Cavs lost. And those 18 points against the Tar Heels were truly the difference between victory and defeat as the Cavs take a step forward and the Heels take yet another step back. 10 and 15, Carolina. And a piece of historical trivia for you. UVA and Carolina have been playing basketball against each other since 1911. 1911, more than 100 years ago. Do you know how many times in more than a century of that rivalry that the Cavaliers had back-to-back wins in their trips to Chapel Hill? In other words, two straight visits to Chapel Hill, whether it was Carmichael back in the day or before that or the Smith Center years. How often in more than 100 years have the Virginia men's basketball Cavaliers beaten the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill in consecutive trips to Chapel Hill? I'll give you that answer as we take more of your calls. Dave Odom in 15 minutes. Glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Roy Williams, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. One thing I promised, Dave Odom of Wake Forest and, of course, ECU and South Carolina and a whole lot of other connections across the Carolinas. He's being honored Wednesday in Winston-Salem along with his championship 1995 Wake Forest basketball team. We'll pick his basketball expert brain on some other things, but we will celebrate a good friend of the program, Dave Odom, when he drops by in a little bit more than five minutes. The one thing I promised... The last time UVA won games against the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill on back-to-back visits to Chapel Hill was never. 
in a rivalry that began in 1911 and in a rivalry that if you look at the big picture, of course, the Tar Heels have been much better than UVA for most of UVA's history. So the numbers are enormously tilted in favor of Carolina. Tony Bennett has changed that. And Tony Bennett now has a string of victories over Roy Williams and the Tar Heels. As I was there on Saturday night, and it looked like the Cavs were going to get another one, although it was closer than you might have thought, Tar Heels played hard. They actually shot well. 50% from the field for Roy Williams' worst offensive team ever against one of the best defensive teams in the country. A lot went well for the Heels, but Thomas Walden Tensai hits the three-pointer from the corner. Roy Williams calls it. You know, another devastating defeat in a series that began in 1911 until 1911 until Saturday night. UVA had never won back to back trips to Chapel Hill against the Tar Heels. Now, that is another part of good history for UVA, bad history for the Tar Heels. UVA has beaten Carolina six straight times. UVA has beaten Carolina nine of the last 13 head to head in this Tony Bennett, Roy Williams era. It's not quite Roy Williams is the hammer and NC State is the nail type numbers, but it's over a shorter period of time trending in that direction. Dave Odom is a great friend of this program. He was a championship coach at Wake Forest, including in 1995. You may have heard of Tim Duncan. Randolph Childress is still hanging around. Do you know Randolph Childress was the leading scorer in that team, not Tim Duncan, although I've heard Timmy D was pretty good putting up double-doubles on a regular basis. That group, led by Dave Odom, did great things and is being honored on Wednesday in Winston-Salem. Coach Odom joins us live next on the David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody at another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your calls a little bit later, best and worst of the weekend style. Our next guest is not only a great friend of the program, it has been for a long time. I had the honor of covering his Wake Forest teams back when he was an even younger guy than he is now. He's being honored Wednesday night in Winston-Salem. His banner goes up. All of us who have been out there, you can look up and picture, you know, Rodney Rogers' banner, Randolph Childress's banner, Tim Duncan's banner, Josh Howard's banner. Coach Dave Odom's banner is going up on Wednesday night as they continue a long, really year-long celebration of the 30th anniversary of Joel Coliseum, but also the 1995 championship team at Wake and our guest, Dave Odom. Coach, that's a lot going on in one night, man. I saw Billy Donovan brought to te tears this weekend when the Florida Gators honored him. Are you past, you know, the tears part of this stuff when uh, you get celebrated here and there? You know, DG, first of all, it's a real honor to be back with you. Uh, but, you know, it's a real honor to uh, be considered for, you know, what's going to happen on, on Wednesday night. Uh, you know, when you're coaching, I don't think any coach alive ever coaches in hopes that one day you get this kind of honor. It's just one of those things that if you coach long enough and you're fortunate enough to have good players and good staff and good support, uh, you end up with uh, enough victories and you've uh, touched enough lives along the way that, you know, somebody, whoever makes this kind of decision, uh, thinks uh, you're worthy. 
And in that, um, you know, it, it causes you, uh, I'm talking about myself here, uh, it, it caused me to uh, experience a certain introspection, if you will. Yeah. And I look at myself and I say, you know, David, you didn't get there by yourself, buddy. Hmm. There's a lot of help. I mean, you had great, great staffs along the way, great players along the way, great fan support. Uh, students were great. Um, you know, uh, the media got along well with the media. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that type thing. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like, Hey, guess what? You're here now. This thing's going to happen. And, uh, you know, will I be teary eyed? I'd be surprised if I'm not, you know, me pretty well. (laughs) I'm an emotional kind of guy. So that probably will bring tears to my eyes. Those tear ducks are still working for all of us. Coach. He was the head coach of the Deeks for 12 years through the 2001 season. Uh, he guided the Deeks to eight NCAA tournament appearances and 240 total victories. We all know how life can work. So your 1995 team, also part of the backdrop, as you're uh, heading up into the rafters personally, that is 25 years ago, if my math is correct. People splinter, right? They just move in different directions. Give us an idea of how many guys will be able to make it back for Wednesday night, and to what degree, given all the players and different schools you've represented, you know, how many people can you keep in touch with from any given team, uh, including a great team like the one you had in 1995? Well, first of all, as, as far as the uh, team is concerned, that that uh, ceremony is going to go on at halftime, yep. and whatever they're going to do for me is going to be before the game. So anybody that's listening in the Raleigh-Durham or across the so – I know you reach uh, 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 mountains to the coast. Um, I hope they'll come early enough to, uh, you know, join in on what's going yeah. on uh, before the game. But that that said, um, you know, I think we had 13, maybe 14 players on that uh, 94. 495 team and i think all but two have confirmed and one of those two uh has said it's 50 50 i'll get there if i possibly can um you know when i uh, and i think that's really good uh because yeah. you, know, you know as you call it splinter uh that's uh, an appropriate uh, description um one of the things that i i made an agreement with the administration john curry being our athletics director now, when he came to me with the proposition of, of honoring the team and, and me on the same night, I said, look, John, is it possible that we could also kind of re-honor all of the other banners at the same time? In other words, get as many of them back ah. as we can. Uh, and so he said, yeah, it's a great idea. So, you know, I can, I'm sitting in the Coliseum right now, and I know him by heart, you know, Dickie Hemrick, by the way, uh, your listening audience is so young, they, they will never know that Dickie <laughs> Hemrick holds more records that will never be broken, rebounding and scoring right. in this league. It will never be broken. Okay, so we Crazy got him. Crazy numbers, try to get yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's almost like Monopoly or something. Yep. But, he, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, his, his sister is going to come and represent him. Uh, you know, Bones McKinney. Uh, with the 60, 1961, 62, 63, where they won the national, I mean, the ACC championship and went to the final four, the Lynn Chapel era. Uh, you know, there are going to be a number of those uh, those players back. And then you go to um, uh, Charlie Davis and Skip Brown. And I always see both of those two guys together. And I say, look, if they had the three-point line when 
you guys were playing, you'd still be playing. They were two of the great jump shooters in our, in our time. And, you know, it just goes down the line. I know you don't have time for all of that, but we eventually get to Rodney, Randolph, and Tim. And I'm so excited that uh, uh, hopefully all of them are going to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just excited. I am. I, to get everybody together, we're going to have a team meal with the families tomorrow night, private. And I uh, just let them tell old stories and be uh, relaxed. And uh, it's, it's just going to be an exciting time. He was a three-time ACC Coach of the Year, our guest Dave Odom, 1991, 1994, and 1995. And as he mentioned there, one of the real cool parts of Coach Odom's banner going up into the rafters, th that banner will be alongside four of his own guys. He mentioned Rodney Rogers, Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, also Josh Howard from just a little bit later in his tenure. Dave Odom is joining us here on the David Glenn Show. When I think, you know, I was a really young dude when I started covering your teams, and for those who don't have perspective on this, Coach Odom put together this resume at a time that you have to sort of put it all together. Dean Smith was at Chapel Hill for the majority of that time. A guy named Gary Williams was at Maryland for a majority of that time. You've all heard of that Mike Krzyzewski guy who was uh, already a two-time national champion in the early 90s, a little bit after Coach Odom took over at Wake Forest. What do you remember about that time, Coach? Because it's a weird year right now. Everybody's calling the ACC a little bit down this year with only three teams near the top. I remember a lot of years where it just felt like half the best teams in the country were from the ACC, and it was a much smaller league back then. Well, you mentioned some of the leader, leading coaches in the league at that time, but, you know, let's not forget Bobby Cremins. I mean, he went sure. to the Final Four uh, when he was there. And, and uh, uh, of course, uh, Jeff Jones, uh, Terry, Terry Holland was one year at uh, Virginia, and then, you know, Jeff Jones took over. So it, it was that was an exciting team as well. But what I remember is there, there were very – few secrets in the league um you know when when uh, let's just say when gary williams went to rehoboth uh on the shore up at delaware everybody in the league knew it and talked about it <laughs> i mean they, they did i mean it, it was an incredible thing yeah uh when uh when when dean uh went to his uh home down at uh, pinehurst uh the media followed um, and, you know, I could go on and on with stories about each and every one. And we had, you know, great leadership in the ACC office with Fred Bearcat was an uh, associate commissioner in charge of basketball. And you had the great Gene Cargan, who we just lost yeah. here recently. And, and uh, so it was a great, great time. It was a banner time for the ACC. Uh, I, every year was uh, – I mean, it was a challenge, uh, David. It, it really was. And I, when I came in, Wake Forest, I think it had six straight losing seasons in the ACC. And I, the first thing I told my staff, my staff and team was, don't worry about Duke and North Carolina and North Carolina State. Jim Valvano yeah. uh, was there. Don't worry about uh, those guys because their teams are so good. Let's try to get, you know, let's let's try to catch Clemson. Let's try to catch. Uh, um, uh, you know, I don't know, Virginia, uh, Florida state came in shortly after let's, let's get them and then try to work our way up the ladder. And it, it happened pretty quick. And I, I would say this, cause I think it's apropos, uh, to your listener and audience because of where it is. Uh, people ask me what the, uh, who was our most important recruit 
they asked me when did it start to turn, and it's easy for me to answer that, David. Uh, it, it was the night that Rodney Rogers committed to Dave Odom hmm. and Wake Forest. Yeah. And, um, and, and I say that because um, two weeks later, uh, in the same year, I get a phone call from another recruit that we were really pounding, and his name was Randolph Childress. And he committed two weeks after Rodney. Wow! And and I, you know, and he says, Coach, I want to come away for us. And I said, Randolph, that makes me so happy. I got a question for you. He said, What? I said, Why did you choose Wake Forest? I, I didn't have pressured you. Why did you choose Wake Forest? He said, Coach, when Rodney Rogers committed himself to Wake Forest, I knew Wake Forest was serious about championships. And I wanted to go to a place that was serious about championships. And I know Wake Forest is now. And and so when you look at, you know, Rodney, Randolph, Tim, obviously each one had their own large measure of importance. But that moment that we got Rodney Rogers, it it began to turn and it turned quickly. And I say that, and it's good for the DG show because – he grew up probably 20 yeah, miles from yeah. where you are. And, you know, uh, North Carolina interviewed him, and Duke interviewed him, and neither thought he was worthy of going to their schools. And we said, hey, Come we'll, on we'll down. thank you, buddy. <laughs> Come on down. Dave Odom is joining us on the David Glenn Show. And just to paint some more of this backdrop, keep in mind, Wake Forest basketball has four ACC tournament championships. Two happened before I was born. Uh, so many of you out there in listener land know those details. I've read about them, and I've actually interviewed some of those guys. Uh, but they were long, long ago. I mean, they were early 60s. So Dave Odom comes along in this brutally tough league. You know, in the years leading up, they're celebrating the 95 team and our guest Dave Odom on Wednesday night at the Joel. In the years leading up to 95, you know, it had been Dean Smith in Carolina. It had been Bobby Kremens and Georgia Tech. It had been Duke and Mike Krzyzewski winning uh, the ACC title. And then there it was in Greensboro Coliseum in 1995, uh, that team being honored again. 96, these Deeks won it again with Coach Odom. Randolph Childress was the MVP in 95. Tim Duncan was the MVP in 1996. Coach, you gave us some of the names there. How did, uh, how did the blend go? I mean, Randolph Childress led you in scoring. Timmy D averaged a double-double in points and rebounds. Those other guys had to know that these were superstars, but they also had to know that you don't win championships with only two men and a great coach, no matter how good they are. Listen, people have asked me all week, what, what was unique about that 94-95 team? And I could say this about the 96-97 team. Uh, I mean, excuse me, 95-96 team as well. Uh, the first thing is, um, they were hard workers, and they they approached every game and every opponent without fear. They they, they feared nobody. Uh, they really did not. So when we gave them, um, you know, scouting reports and all. I mean, you could see in their eye they were very attentive to detail. Um, they uh, uh, like all great teams. They depended upon each other. Uh, they didn't. They didn't try to put themselves above anybody they weren't looking they, they were they were a team of parts you, you know I, I'll mention some names to you that nobody uh, that very few people uh, mentioned Rusty LaRue yeah 
uh, a local product here that came here, and I helped him come in here on football so he could play basketball. Sharpshooter. Basketball and not football. Tony Rutland. Tony Rutland was the best guard in the country in the in the, the next year, the 95, 96 year. And if you remember that, uh, David, I know you do, we're up, we're playing Georgia Tech in the finals of that of the uh, tournament again in Greensboro, and we're up 19 points on Georgia Tech with with about 30 seconds left in, in the uh, uh, half, and there's a breakaway layup by Tony Rutland. He stubs his toes, yeah. and I don't, I don't think he made the layup there. He was well out in front of anybody, and I go in the locker room, and the doctor tells me he's torn his ACL. Mm. In my opinion, Tony Rutland was the best guard in the country at that time. Wow. And I, th- I think that injury cost us a national championship. We still went to the final eight. Yeah. We lost to Kentucky, who won it in the final eight without him. But, you know, you had Rutland, you had Brazel, you had Sean Allen, you had uh, Scooter Banks that uh, year before. Scooter Banks was the best defensive postman I ever coached. I mean, he was really, really good. Um, I don't know. There's some other players. Ricky Peral, I remember. uh, uh, Ricky Peral, my goodness, he was uh, the best player in Spain coming out of Spain his freshman year. And uh, what a a great – he and Timmy were roommates. And and, uh, what a great combination they were. I'd have been ashamed to miss him. So we had – but but the big thing, David, they were not afraid. Yeah. And I think so many times today – uh, teams that, that that's the, that's the biggest thing is to get them to the point where they truly believe they can win, and uh, and it's just a, it's a shame you look at you know some of the teams today and I think they're just they're they're so much better than they think they are, uh, and you know it's just um, I think a shame. His name is Dave Odom. Be a part of the celebration. Coach had a great idea there. Get there early if you're going on Wednesday. You know, there's multiple facets to this celebration at the Joel on Wednesday night. Dave Odom's banner going up into the rafters. The 1995 team, as he mentioned, is going to be celebrated at halftime. So pregame festivities uh, even more worthwhile than usual. As we let you go, Coach, I think I've shared this story with you before. And, of course, you've told us some great recruiting stories about guys like Tim Duncan or Randolph Childress or Rodney Rogers. Timmy D was one of the most elusive subjects of my 30-plus year writing career. And you know what a good, <laughs> what a good guy he is. He, he was very pleasant and professional and cooperative. He's just like, man, now enough is written about me. And I'm like, Timmy D, man, I got to write one Tim Duncan article in my long career. So eventually some intermediaries helped me out. But what can you share just about – What's going on in his post-retirement uh, years? We know he's working with the Spurs, but uh, uh, as, as everybody looks forward to seeing him, anytime there's a chance he pops up in Winston-Salem, what's going on at this new chapter of his life, and, and are you able to keep in touch with him at this stage? Well, uh, staying in touch with him is not easy. I True, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when we kind of, this uh, seeded this idea of, of uh, you know, rec- recognizing uh, the, his first championship team. I uh, called him and asked me, I said, you're going to be able to come back then and hopefully and everything. He said, well, Coach, I got to, in perfect honesty, let me, let me tell you what's happening. I said, what is that? He said, Pop has called me and asked me if I would uh, be an assistant coach for one year. And I don't know how that will work, uh, you know, doing that. 
still getting back, and I don't know. Uh, let, let me let me just see if I can work it out yeah. uh, like that. Well, my point, um, David, is that, you know, he. I said, are you excited about that? He said, well, you know, I never wanted to coach. I didn't want any part of the problems that you guys always had. Uh, he said, I don't know what to do about it. I said, let me tell you what you do. You, you take the job. Uh, <laughs> Greg Popovich has done – he's given you 20 years of his life. He's yeah. asking you for one. You go ahead and do it. Well, he is doing it now, and, um, you know, he's, yeah, hopefully he's enjoying more than he thought. Uh, I know the record's not where it normally would be, but he ain't playing either. He's right. coaching. So <laughs> that, that would, um, that would uh, humble him a little bit. But between the coaching – um, he's got uh, uh, three three kids now, and he's really juggling the domestic part of his life with uh, the need to, um, you know, to, to be a father. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think he particularly enjoyed that last year, but hadn't been able to do it. But you know, he does have the means to get people to look after his kids while he's gone, and so he's he's doing okay. But um, um, I'm hopeful that he'll be able to make it and i'm hopeful that uh well i know he'll have a great time with his teammates uh and that they with him and the fans will all be excited as well so he's juggling a lot of balls in the air right now like a lot of people are but he does it well and um we look forward to uh to visiting with him his name is dave odom i i, I could have just had this conversation with you over like sweet tea and uh, sandwich coach I, I don't know if anybody else was <laughs> listening but it's always great to catch up with you uh you are a great friend of the program i think you know by now how much admiration and respect i have for you so i will be celebrating uh for you and in a sense with you on wednesday night at the joel in winston-salem congratulations to you and your team as you're all being celebrated and as always thanks for spending some time with us here on the david glenn show Thanks, David. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Always, always enjoy talking to you. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great time of the year. Hoop season's here. Amen. ACC, four weeks, and uh, here we go. I'm gonna, I'll pick your brain another time on, you know, actual basketball analysis. I'm glad we were able to make this all about you and your team and the Deeks. Uh, but we'll knock on your door again soon. Have fun Wednesday night, man. Take care. Wait, the, the league is not as bad as everybody says. I, I can tell you that. All right, we'll, so, elaborate on, we'll elaborate on that next time. Dave Odom steps into the spotlight on Wednesday night. Be good to him. Show up early and yell your lungs out for one of the great guys that I've met in all these years covering the ACC. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances, and I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. What went horribly wrong at this year's Stadium Series NHL game this weekend? What went wonderfully right for Tom Dundon and the Hurricanes as they were awarded next year's game? Canes got three out of four points on the ice. That was the best of the weekend. Some of you liked the XFL's week two. A lot of college basketball votes. NBA All-Star weekend as well. We're continuing best and worst of the weekend with your calls on the other side. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can be next on the David Glenn Show. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach 
in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show.